So welcome to Seattle Mennonite Church this morning. It's always so good to see all of your faces and to be able to welcome you into worship. We worship always on the land of the Duwamish people here in Seattle and of first peoples of the continent, wherever you are joining us from. Uh, If you don't know who the first peoples of your area are, there's a way to look that up, which I did not think of putting into the uh, into the links this morning, um, but now I can't even think of it. Uh, we'll get that to you next week. Uh, this week, I wanted to highlight one particular thing. Megan, were you trying to say something? I would just say it's native lands. Native land. So I'm going to put Thank that you. in the chat box. Uh, yeah, escape me. Thank you very much. There will be a few more links specifically related to a request from the Duwamish this week. They're asking, um, there's a bill in the Washington State Senate, which is exciting in that it's proposing that um, education about local first peoples are included in uh, Washington State curriculum for students, which is excellent. It's, we want this, right? We want our students to be learning about um, first peoples. However, uh, it specifically excludes Um, tribes that are not federally recognized. So that means that the Duwamish would be excluded since they are still seeking federal recognition. So they're inviting their uh, supporters and uh, anyone who's willing to, to go to petition your legislators in Washington to strike federally recognized from the description of the tribes that would be taught about in schools. And so uh, it's pretty easy. And if you follow the links, uh, you can invite your state legislators to um, amend the bill so that uh, so that the Duwamish would be included in that. It seems seems like a no-brainer to me that we want Seattle children to be learning about the first people of Seattle, not of somewhere that's more farther removed. Uh, so that's just a little highlight on what's going on with the Duwamish right now. Sometimes we just recognize them and sometimes there's a real need for, for support. Whatever these months of pandemic and isolation and uh, anxiety bring, we know that the Holy Spirit continues to move among us, building us as a community, and that these months are not something just to endure as we make our way through them, but in fact, an experience that we share all together as a community, something we hope that will come come out of on the other side stronger and more connected. Today, we continue on the way with Jesus, hearing the call of Jesus' first disciples. We're fishers on the Lake of Galilee. They leave their boats, they leave their nets, and the biggest catch of fish they have ever seen. And they walk away. They walk on the way with Jesus. And that is where we're going to begin our worship in singing. We will walk with God, and uh, you'll hear Michael and Lisa both singing on this time. Till the kingdom has come. She's a humble now, yeah. Whoa, whoa. 
to join me in the call to worship, which you'll see in your chat. Uh, Pastor Megan will offer the responses and you, I invite you to join her in those responses if you feel led. Jesus calls us to praise and to prayer, to song and to silence. Jesus calls us to worship. Jesus calls us to hearing and to healing, to service and to solidarity. Jesus calls us to love. Jesus calls us to advocacy and to action, to protest and to provision. Jesus calls us to justice. Let us heed the call of Christ. Let us worship together with joy. We light our peace candle this week and each week to acknowledge that we both witness to and participate in God's vision for a just peace for all of creation. This week, as we, uh, we celebrated a big week in this nation, I pray in particular for those who are organizing and continue to do the organizing work of, uh, of building God's just peace, both at a national level and here locally from, from organizers who are working on political campaigns to organizers who are working to building warming centers. All of those people are doing the ongoing work of building a just peace in this nation. And together we pray, we long for a just peace we pray for a just peace, and we choose to live for a just peace. May the peace of Christ be with you. And with each one of you. For our children's time this morning, for our children's time this morning, we're continuing on the road with Jesus. Last week, we heard Jesus in the synagogue proclaiming good news and liberty and sight and release. This is good news for the people in his community and all over God's reign. So this week, we're going a little further down the road. We're not in a building instead, and we're not even on a road instead. <clears throat> we are at a lake. 
We're at a lake called Galilee. And at the Lake of Galilee, many people were gathered. So many people that I can't even draw them all. Too many people that would fill up my paper. There were so many people and they had all come to hear Jesus speak. And so instead of standing in front of them at the lake on the Ground, Jesus asked one of the people who was nearby and fishing to bring his boat. So there were fishing boats nearby and Jesus asked the fishers to come with their boats and Jesus stood on the boat and it was from there that Jesus taught the people about the good news of God's love. So Jesus stood there on the boat teaching all of the people were listening. It was like his stage. And then he got finished with, with the, the teaching. And instead of going back to land, Jesus asked the person whose boat it was, his name was Peter, to take the boat out into deep water and to put his nets into the water to catch more fish. And Peter, who had been fishing all night, told Jesus, he said, I've been fishing all night and I didn't catch anything. So I, I don't think I'm going to catch anything. But if, if you say so, I'll, I'll put my nets into the water. So he, he cast his net into the water. And sure enough, so many fish were caught. Again, I can't make this many fish. I have to do it so fast. So many fish were caught. They just look like little ovals in the water. That Peter had to get help from some of his partners, fishing partners, who had to reach down and help with the net to pull it up. And it's so many that the boat started even to tip over. They were all amazed. Wow, so many fish. All of this fish were, were, were tipping the boat over. So when they finally got their fish back to shore, Jesus told them, Jesus told them, I would like, I, I want you to leave your fish, all of these fish that you just caught, because from now on, here, I'm going to make another fishing net. He said, from now on, you won't be fishing for fish, no more fish. You're going to be fishing for people. Oh, here's a person in this fishing net. Except I wonder if that's what Jesus really meant. I wonder if Jesus really meant you're going to fish for people. One thing I notice about this picture, you might remember, I had to draw so many people, I couldn't even draw that many. And so many fish, it took me longer to draw those things than it did some of the others. I noticed that people gathered to hear Jesus talk about God's word. And I noticed that the, that the fishers gathered all of these fish together, so, so many came. And that, that Peter had to get his helpers to help bring in the fish. That makes me wonder if maybe Jesus also needs helpers. So not catching people in a net. But maybe Jesus needs helpers to talk about God and to serve the people that he's gathering around him. That's what I wonder. So the, these new friends of Jesus, they do. They leave their boat, they leave all of those fish and they continue 
down the road with Jesus. So next time, we'll get to hear a little bit more about where Jesus and Simon and these friends were named John and uh, James. We'll get to hear about where these friends go along the road with Jesus. And I'm looking forward to doing that next week. I have been pondering how brave it is to follow. How brave it is to follow. How following requires incredible bravery. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. We're going to learn later in the text and we'll, we'll hear the text in its entirety, but sort of as I'm telling the story, we're gonna learn later in the text as Amy has already alluded to, that at least some of these fishermen were named Simon, James, and John. They are washing their nets. They are doing so, <clears throat> excuse me. They are washing their nets after a long night of fishing, a long night of unsuccessful fishing. There are lots of crowds around. People have assembled nearby. <clears throat> They are wrapping up their disappointing third shift labors. And uh, I'm, I can only imagine if I were working the third shift and it was the end of my shift and I were cleaning up and there were a ton of people all of a sudden gathered around for whatever reason, I would just be like, okay, <laughs> I'm trying to wrap things up here. I've had a terrible night at work uh, and they're probably dreaming about their bed. I would be. I'd be eager to go home. Everybody else is starting their day. I've just had a terrible third shift and I would just want to go home and sleep. Picking up again with Luke. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. <sighs> okay. Jesus has stepped into Simon's boat, asked him to put out a little way. We don't know if Jesus and Simon have a prior relationship before this moment. There's an indication in Luke that they may. They may already know each other or at least know of each other. We know that Jesus has been in Simon's home, but we don't know if Simon was there. We know that Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law. So presumably Simon would at least know that that happened. Uh, so maybe he felt he owed Jesus, whether or not they had ever actually met in person. Jesus had done this nice thing for his mother-in-law. So you wanna go out in my boat, which I'm just now trying to clean up and put away for the day. Fine, I will put out. Picking up with Luke. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds 
from the boat. Okay, <clears throat> I can now imagine being Simon, maybe checking the watch. How, how long is this sermon going to go on? Maybe you, maybe you can uh, relate. Picking up with Luke again. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. So now Jesus doesn't ask this time. I don't know if you noticed that. The first time he asked Simon if he would, if he would be willing to put out his boat a little bit so that he could teach the crowds. Now he's taught the crowds and he's not asking anymore. He has told Simon that he should put out into the deeper waters and that he should throw his nets over the side of the boat. And Simon says, well, uh, we did just finish up a full night's worth of labor and there weren't any fish tonight, but if you say so. And I don't think I'm the only one to have detected in the layers here some possible unwarranted, not unwarranted attitude from Simon. I could imagine projecting a little bit saying, okay, Mr. Carpenter, woodworker, landlubber, I'm the professional fisher here. <laughs> I sort of know what I'm doing. I wouldn't presume to tell you what to do with your handsaw, your plumb line, and your chisel, but you've got an idea for me and my net, my boat, my sea, my trade, my profession, my expertise. All right, Mr. Carpenter, I will throw the nets over the boat. Picking up with Luke again. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. An abundant catch. There are breaking nets and there are sinking boats. And then we hear from Luke again. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Simon falls before Jesus at this abundant catch, begs him to go away because he self-identifies as a sinful man. It's sort of a confusing exchange. I don't exactly know uh, why, why this is Simon Peter's response to Jesus. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But it did hearken back to a text that we heard a few months ago now in Isaiah. Um, when the prophet Isaiah describes the vision of walking into the temple, the temple that had come alive, the seraphim that were flying all over. I don't know if you recall, if you were here that Sunday and heard, um, it, it's, Isaiah tells the story of this vision of stumbling into the temple that has come alive and, and stumbling upon something so holy, so other, um, that he had a profound feeling of not belonging like I don't I don't belong here like there is something there is something 
bigger and deeper and holier that I don't understand. And I, I don't know that I belong and I don't know that I feel worthy to be here. So I wonder if that's why Simon says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Just, just having encountered something that feels so holy and so other that he has a profound sense of not belonging or unworthiness. And to conclude our reading from Luke, oh, not quite conclude, close to it. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Don't be afraid. Come catch some people with me, Jesus says. And finally, from Luke, when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. And Simon goes. All three of them go. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they also go. And they leave behind a fortune. I've been pondering how brave it is to follow. How to follow requires incredible amounts of bravery for so many reasons. But in this story, one of them, one of the big reasons is all those fish. They're not just fish, that's money. That is money on the table. A lot of money, a giant pile of money, more money than they have ever seen or imagined in their entire lives. It is enough money to probably fund their travels for the next three years and make quitting their jobs to travel around the country for a few years, a much more reasonable reality. Now I will confess that I am more security minded than I sometimes wish I were or think is good or faithful or whatever. I, I just have so much insight in me. I know for sure that I would have suggested that we stick around long enough to sell the hall. Let's just like, Let's just stick around another day. We can like get these fish off to market. Um, we can activate a little succession plan for the business, make sure that somebody takes over the boats. And then let's just like pack up this nest egg and go traveling around the country for the next three years. Yeah, let's do it. We just, like all of a sudden we can do it. Like we can actually do it because we have the money to do it. Nope. At least not as the story is handed down to us. They left it all, left it all and just followed. That is bravery beyond my means. I'm gonna share another story of the bravery of following, how brave it is to follow. Cause I'm sharing this sermon with Brenda Salter McNeil who is a professor and an author here in Seattle at Seattle Pacific University, a colleague of some of our friends here in church of Ruth and of Robin. And um, this was part of the MLK celebration that I took place in, um, that I participated in, that I watched um, this past week on Martin Luther King Day. So this is Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday, part two. And I'm gonna share Brenda's words. 
Uh, and to give you a heads up, this is about eight minutes. So this will be, she'll, she'll, she'll bring the sermon home right here. I'm very honored to have this opportunity to speak to you. I'm very grateful to the Lift Every Voice Legacy and the Communities of Color Coalition that's invited me to be here to speak with you. It's my journey to share with you and a tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So thank you so much for this privilege. Under normal circumstances, I'd be with you at the Edmund Center for the Arts, but today we get a chance to share this story, this life-changing experience in this medium. And for that, I give God God, thanks. It was in 2014 that Sojourners Ministry in Washington, D.C. had a round table with clergy from all around the country in Ferguson, Missouri. We were asked to come because it was at the very beginning of the Black Lives Matters movement. And we needed to go for ourselves as clergy people to see if we couldn't understand what was actually happening in Ferguson. We were hearing news reports from all different types of places that were saying all different types of things about these young people who had taken to the streets after the murder of Michael Brown. So we came, all denominations represented, and we came so that we could hear for ourselves see for ourselves, get close enough to the truth of what was going on to figure out how we, the people of God, should be involved with this and be a part of this. I was really shocked. I was shocked to see how they received us. There was respect to a point, but they were angry and they were not playing deference to us. They were not watching their words. They weren't being careful about what they said. In fact, when we came in, they said, you know, we didn't go looking for this. This is the hand that was dealt to us. And in many ways, they felt angry with those of us who were older and, and had been a part of the civil rights movement because they said that you left this undone, you left this unfinished, and now we've got to pick up the pieces and we've got to move forward, but we're not looking to the church. They said, in fact, we don't like the church. We hate your hypocrisy. We hate your complicity with injustice. We hate your silence that you don't say anything. We hate the way you you treat women your misogyny they said oh man it was very hard to hear this critique because they were accurate in what they were naming they said we hate how you treat the lgbtq community it's almost as if you try harder to keep people out than to let them in ouch and so we listened to them and we prayed and we took it all in and we repented. We told them, we realized that in many ways, the church hadn't shown up for them in this generation. We said to them, we understood that this was not a movement like the civil rights movement and Dr. King, where Dr. King was literally giving a theology and a philosophy to the movement in the street. These young people did not want to hear anything from the church because they didn't see integrity in the church. And and that was important for us as faith leaders to hear. So the next day, we are all gathering. We are trying to figure out what then must we do. And we have said to them that we're going to do better. Well, the next day we get a phone call and it comes through the cell phone of one of the, the pastors who's from St. Louis. And she reads to us a text that has been sent to her for us. And they say to us, we are going to be going to the steps of the courthouse today at 4 p.m. Are you coming or not? Now, let me tell you why that text came. 
somehow by God's providence, we were in Ferguson, Missouri on the day in December, 2014, the decision to not indict the police officers who had strangled Eric Gardner. He said uh, multiple times, I can't breathe. Everybody thought that that was going to be one of those things where we would see justice because we saw him strangled on video but instead those officers were not held accountable. And they say to us, we are going to be going to the steps of the courthouse today at 4 p.m. Are you coming or not? Because you all said that you're gonna do better. You all said that you'll be there for us. And so we all looked around. It was supposed to be our last session. Many of us had already booked our flights. Some of us had our, our suitcases with us because we'd be going to the airport from our final session. And we all had to make a decision in that moment where we're gonna keep our word and show up for this generation that has lost its confidence in the church. And so, we go in the middle of a protest, hand in the air, no justice, no peace. But I can tell you, I saw some things that night that changed my life. And it was the beginning of me stepping into a bravery that required more of me than I had seen of myself before. I watched young people who were sincerely standing for justice, willing to put their, their lives on the line for what they believed. I also saw some other young people who seemed like they were trying to have their moment in the sun. This young white guy who wants to look woke is about to cause these police to react harshly. He jumped on a fence that had been erected between the courthouse and the protesters. And uh, there were police officers on the other side of that fence. And he jumped on that barricade and other young people jumped on that barricade. And I thought to myself, we're gonna get killed out here. And he, because he is in a white body, is probably going to not get hurt out here. And if he goes to jail, someone will bail him out. But there'll be some young black and brown kids out here in this street, and they might lose their lives tonight. And so I remember Dr. King in that moment. And I decided to do what he did on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. I knelt down on my knees. I'm not sure what I was going to say or do. I just felt like we needed the spirit of the living God in that protest in that moment. We needed the people of faith to demonstrate this transcendent power of our God in that moment. And there were other people who did kneel down around me. And in that moment, we brought a sacred presence to the protest. And we were in solidarity with young people. We were able to demonstrate that our faith was not a passive faith. Our faith was a faith that showed up in the streets, that stood with people, that knelt and called on our God as we also called out for justice. We cannot say that we love people and not care about the policies and the injustice and the systems that impact those people's lives. So church, the question that those young people asked us that night all those years ago is the same question they're asking us now. Are you coming or not? So in the spirit of Dr. King, my prayer is that our answer will be a resounding yes, because we've got a whole generation of young people who have lost confidence in the church and they need to know, do we represent a God like the God of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who found himself reluctantly being called into the leadership of a movement that he did not anticipate at the time, but he said a yes to something he was asked to do because the time in which he lived demanded it of him.
Esther in the Bible, when Mordecai comes to her and says, you've got to speak truth to the king. And she said, I can't do that. I could get in trouble. But he said to her and he says to us, who knows, maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You can't keep silent now. And I want you to hear me say to those of us who are living in the middle of this time that we find ourselves in, this is our moment to stand up and speak up because a generation is watching us and they want to understand that our faith actually is something that we practice, that they can see us combine our faith in Jesus with our call for justice. May that be our testimony. May that be our witness. It's changed my life and it's called me to become brave. Are you coming or not? I've been pondering this week how brave it is to follow. How to follow requires an incredible act of bravery. And from Brenda Salter McNeil's message, humility. Humility and commitment and following up words with action. Finally, Amanda Gorman. <laughs> Boy, she's gone viral this week. She's the first youth poet laureate in the United States. And I want to put youth in quotes every time I see it because the woman is 22 years old. Shared that inauguration poem and there's so much in it, but I'm just going to highlight some of the words that have been repeated over and over. It's her last words and it, she builds toward it. So you got to build toward it. But in her poem, The Hill We Climb, she highlights and amplifies this bravery and so much else. She concludes with these words that in our rebuilding and our reconciling and our recovering as a nation, and here we get to be church, we get to respond to this generation's question, are you coming or not? For the rebuilding, the reconciling, the recovering, she says the light of a new dawn is blooming as we free it. She says it's always there if we're only brave enough to see it, if we're only brave enough to be it. How brave it is to follow how brave it is to follow, to follow Jesus, to follow in the Jesus way, and because of our following Jesus, to also follow young leaders who are calling us. Are you coming or not? And now, final, finally, how brave it is to follow the movement of the Holy Spirit into new and uncharted terrain which is something that we as a church have been doing with community ministry for over a dozen years now. And uh, Jonathan shared in uh, December worship some of what was happening in terms of changes as we are following the movement of the spirit. Um, and that led to some questions. And so we're gonna share a little bit of an update and also a response to some of the questions that have been raised about this following the movement of the spirit into uncharted territory with community ministry. Jonathan, welcome. We're so glad to hear from you about the bravery of following. Thank you, Megan. 
yeah, in the joy of uh, sharing in, you know, over the last number of months about what's coming to us in shoreline by way of a 24 seven shelter, um, realize that there were bits and pieces that might not have totally translated. Um, first off, we wanted to, to mention that the opening of the Oaks 24-7 shelter for actual people to move in has been pushed back yet again. Here we are working with King County Housing Authority and their timelines and their staff and their supplies, and that is the primary reason why we are uh, delayed probably another month. Um, now looking at March the 1st to be opening over there, um, which is already now two months beyond where we had hoped we would be. <clears throat> so it does buy us more time. <laughs> we are grateful for that. There's still hiring to do. There's still painting and renovations to work on. Uh, one of the graces in this transition has been that King County has been willing to release some of the funding already now uh, so that we can hire up more of the staff that we had already been hiring, anticipating a, an earlier opening uh, to help out with site preparation and policy development. And so we'll be able to bring people on board and even have some time to team build before folks move in. And so we're grateful for that. But we also realize that a number of uh, folks have been in touch with me and in touch with Lee about what this has meant for myself in this transition. Um, and so wanted to offer some clarification on that. Community ministry has always been just a halftime role for me. Uh, with the balance of my time here at Seattle Mennonite Church being dedicated to Just Peace Council and pastoral team roles and responsibilities, nothing about this breakdown of time and responsibility has changed with my transition. Um, as Lake City Partners has been expanding its programs and receiving increased funding, oversight, mentorship, and coordination needed to be increased. So this is the role I've been asked to fill. I remain the pastoral rep to Just Peace Council and all that flows from that connection. The transition has been in that halftime piece, specifically related to community ministry. So right now, as it stands, this piece that I'm doing uh, for Lake City Partners is a halftime role. It coordinates development of policy and supports the program directors of our current and future programs, which means I still oversee God's Little Acre. I meet with and support Catherine, who's the director down there. It also means now that I'm meeting with and supporting Kevin, who operates our winter shelter and will be working in the 24-7 as well. We also oversee a shoreline uh, severe winter shelter at St. Dunstan's Church. And we are in the midst of onboarding a new contract to open a warming center at the Lake City Community Center. So there are lots of moving parts. There's lots of staff coming on board and lots of coordination. And that's where I am populating and giving some energy. It also needs to be made clear about the money. Uh, this halftime position that I'm, I'm working in now within community ministry is funded by Lake City Partners Ending Homelessness. So it will result in SMC seeing a reduction in personnel expenses in 2021. So SMC will be invoicing Lake City Partners for the 
halftime role that I'm working at. And just a reminder too, that all of the staffing at Godzilla Acre has uh, turned over and is funded by Lake City Partners as well. So it hasn't been a shift towards any kind of increase in financial commitment uh, on the part of SMC. In fact, it's a decrease in the savings. So we're working currently on updating the job description to reflect the shift in tasks I now am working at within the community ministry portion, but the larger frame of being the pastor of just peace and community ministry that remains unchanged. I would be so bold as to say uh, that my sense uh, within the congregation that these changes will be imperceptible <laughs> to uh, most of you. Um, and I would also want to acknowledge that the folks who are feeling this shift most uh, poignantly are those involved at GLA uh, for whom I have stepped definitely away from direct involvement with, and also the SMC office staff noticing shifts in how much time we have to interact since I'm working out of an office in the 24 seven building in Shoreline and commuting for the first time in 13 years beyond a walk. So getting used to that but enjoying the morning routines of stopping by Black Coffee Northwest every morning and having great exchanges with, with the folks that are there and being an encouragement to them as well. So hopefully that's helpful and clarifying. And uh, if you continue to have questions for us, feel free to reach out. Let's continue in prayer now. And Melanie and I will bring us into that prayer with singing, O Lord, hear my prayer, and ask you to join us in that. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. O Lord, hear my prayer. breath with me. Paying attention to the prayers that are in our hearts and minds. Inviting you if you have prayers for the community to place those in the chat. Listening God, hear our prayers as we come before you. Hear the ones who are crying with pain in their heart. Hear the ones who are weeping with grief long into the night. Hear the ones who are sobbing in their loneliness. Loving God, heal their pain, restore their lives and mend their broken hearts. Leading God, lead us to be brave lead us through the dark valleys, lead us through troublesome times, lead us to be brave in our showing up, lead us to our home with you. We invite you, O oh Lord, to hold in your care Sarah Augustine and her ongoing work with the Dispute Resolution Center in Yakima as she shared in her sermon, the work is both rewarding and 
intensely challenging. We pray for her and for the youth that they are reaching out to and the staff with whom she is working and supporting and discerning. We pray today also for each member of our faith family and for our discernment about the Mennonite Voluntary Service property. Fill us with your spirit of discernment as we complete surveys and hold conversations and attend meetings and are present to one another in these conversations with openness, seeking your clarity and the outcome that will bear fruit of just peace. We also pray this morning for all in our community who are grieving a friend or loved one who has been lost to COVID. These names and these lists are getting longer and longer. The grief and the loss being felt deeply and with great sorrow. And we pray for a world beyond our borders who are also grieving and suffering and living in fear. We pray also this morning in solidarity with Wensler, Nosy Seniors, People, the San Carlos Apache, and every heartbeat connected to the preservation and protection of Oak Flat. They face mining devastation and deep extraction if the Santa Fe Treaty is not honored in court on January 27th and the US government goes forward with handing over this ancestral land to the Australian giant, the Rio Tinto Copper Mining Company. We pray for the protection of this sacred land and precious land and for the water, for the water that is life for the San Carlos Apache and all generations yet to come. I'm turning to the chat. Playing with Bob Powell for Sandy's nephew John, a frontline healthcare worker in Ketchikan for safety in his work and for the water to come back on in his apartment as he's having to get by without water and the sanitation that that would be needed for and life and sustenance. Praying with Caitlin for her grandmother who broke her wrist in a fall this week. She might heal quickly and that she and her grandfather living with dementia will be safe and have what they need while her uncle goes back to work this week. Prayers with Emily for the Gossel, Kansas community and the Bethesda home where a large number of staff and residents tested positive in the last few weeks, including her brother, Joel. He's experiencing fatigue and wanting to spend most of his time in bed. And also in the last few days, two men in their 70s in the Gossel community died of COVID-19. Prayers with Jennifer of gratitude for her beloved stepfather, Ed, who turned 90 this week, celebrating his faithful witness of Christ's love and compassion for her mother and her four children. 
loving and listening God, teach us to listen to your voice, that we may hear the cry of the needy and respond. Adding prayers with Elizabeth for her 80-year-old cousin who has been caretaker to her 18-year-old great-grandson since he was born, struggling at home with COVID. And he is in hospital away from her for the first time since his birth. And he has COVID as well. Teach us to love. That we may offer the care that brings others to you for healing. Teach us to lead with your vision. So that we do not lead others blindly through life. In gratitude for your clarity, your vision, your boldness, and your presence with us always as we pray. Amen. Amen. That music that we were just praying with was Afternoon Prayer, um, shared with us by Michael Bade. We continue our worship in a spirit of prayer, offering gratitude for the gifts that each of you bring to the congregation, both of yourselves and your time and of your money. We're grateful for the means to be able to collect those offerings digitally. Grant us, Lord, the grace of living with the Spirit, large and free, that ourselves and all our giving we may offer unto Thee. 
for our closing song today, we're going to sing Jesus Walks This Lonesome Valley. Again, uh, Michael is leading us in that, and he has a few words to introduce it. Yeah, so this is an American folk tune. They're not, or not, I don't know, folk tune, just call it an American uh, song anyway. And I just wanted to note that I changed the lyrics to the last verse because there, it's so American that it's like, you know, Jesus walked alone and you're just gonna have to walk alone yourself. You're all alone. And I don't feel like that's really what uh, Reformation theology is about. That um, I think that uh, our community walks with us and Jesus walks with us. And so I just changed the lyrics to reflect that at the last. Make a note of that. Jesus walked this lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Oh, nobody else could walk it for him. He had to walk it by himself. We must walk this lonesome valley. We have to walk it by ourselves. Oh, nobody else can walk it for us. We have to walk it by ourselves. A good word to end on, Michael, as we uh, receive the benediction. May we go from this time of worship with bravery to follow. When asked, are you coming or not? May we answer with our actions, for we are not walking alone. Amen. May it be so.